My name is Chad. I serve as a pastor here. A couple of nights ago, Melody and I went out on a date night to Max down on Oneida Street. And up until recently, I thought there was only two ways to eat mac and cheese, right? There's, there's macaroni and there is cheese. But when I walked into that restaurant, I discovered that there are 18 other ways to eat macaroni and cheese. And I stood paralyzed before that big board or that menu. I've had a similar experience walking into coffee shops where all I want is a coffee, but there seems to be unlimitless options. Not only do I want a coffee, but I want it in either small medium or large, and and that's worked good for generations, but now we call it tall or or grande. Recently, I I looked at the little technical college that's close to where we live and, and discovered that there are 200 degree programs that that school offers. No wonder it's difficult for our students that graduate high school just picking a career 200 in in one small school here in our area. There are choices that we make frequently. It could be this morning that you find yourself in need of some guidance. Should we buy this house? Should we sell our existing one? What, What about this job? Whom exactly should I marry? And should I stay in Green Bay or... Is God leading us to move to another area? It seems as if there's never a bad time to offer a message on God's guidance and seeking God's guidance. So what I'd like to do today is introduce you to a counselor that's been counseling me over this last year. It's David in Psalm 25. Do you know that at times the scriptures are referred to as counselors? In Psalm 119, verse 24, David wrote, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. And for this past year, into 2023, um, Psalm 25 has been counseling me in the morning as I've been trying to memorize it and meditate on it. And as I find myself between sermon series, what I've been doing is just sharing with you some more personal messages that I've been learning in my own morning quiet times. I'm really excited about the summer series that will begin next Sunday. As as a church family, we will work our way through the Ten Commandments. In our society, in our culture, there are so many things that are shifting and changing. But I think we will we will be of value to, to go back to things that never change, like God's law and God's word, and how we are unable to fulfill those, and ultimately how we find our forgiveness and grace through Christ. I'm hoping this summer to be able to share some of that preaching load with some others. i uh, let you know that on Father's Day, later in June, we're going to have a a men's testimony day where we'll have four different men share their testimonies. And then I'm still working on this, but hopefully sometime this summer we will have a guest evangelist come. And he will take the Sunday morning, and I think there's value in just having a, an evangelist every once in a while that, that preaches to us. Well, this morning 
Would you turn with me and we'll read in its entirety Psalm 25, written by David. He says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. And they shall be ashamed who are wantingly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Our Father, as we have had the the benefit of just reading your word and being able to hear from you today, thank you for this wonderful song that's been preserved for us that speaks about the aches of a man after your own heart that's experiencing trouble and suffering. And yet there are threads here of of seeking guidance, of wanting to hear and lead direction in his life. Lord, may we benefit from the, the model that he has laid out for us. Because I suspect there's a room full of people here today, whether in person or online, that just want to know what your will is and what, how you are guiding our lives. I pray that you would just make that clear to us. May this psalm help us to build strategies in our life to have a lifestyle of seeking guidance from you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we went through Psalm 25, admittedly, it is all over the map. Sometimes you read a, a song in the book of Psalms, and you see this one idea that is introduced at the beginning, supported in the middle, and concluded in the end. But Psalm 25 seems to be scattered a bit. And there is a reason for that, I think. 
Psalm 25 is identified as an acrostic psalm. That means it is an alphabet psalm. You'll notice that there are 22 verses. In the Hebrew language, there are 22 letters in the alphabet. And so verse 1 of Psalm 22 begins with the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Verse 2 begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and so on and so forth. If I gave you the assignment by giving you a blank sheet of paper and a pen or a pencil and said, I want you to write a song to God with 26 different lines, and the first line has to begin with A, the second line has to begin with B, I wonder how many of you would have one flowing song. Probably none of us. This psalm is also identified as a lament. As we are seeking the guidance of the Lord today, it could be that you think David is writing this song at a resort or after spa treatment or on a cruise ship. Or maybe he's looking over a northern Wisconsin lake at sunset with a loon serenading him with the sound of a crackling fire. Well, there's a fire nearby, all right. But David finds himself right in the middle of that fire. Let me review with you the setting of this psalm. In verse 2, it says, O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. In verse 3, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantingly treacherous. There are people in David's life that for no apparent reason have betrayed him. And he's experiencing pain and suffering from that. To illustrate that a little bit more, look at what it says in verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses, plural. Verse 18, consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Charles Spurgeon, a great Baptist preacher, said, David is pictured in the psalm as a faithful miniature His holy trust, his many conflicts, his great transgressions, his bitter repentance, and his deep distresses are all here. So that we see the very heart of the man after God's own heart. David will leverage this pain in his life to seek after God. And in this psalm, Psalm 25, there's these five little mini prayers of seeking God's guidance. And this is what I hope to be of benefit to you. It's been a benefit to me. Here's the first. Here's the first little mini prayer in seeking God's guidance. Lord, I am yours. You see it there in Psalm 25, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. The word Lord here in Hebrew is the word Yahweh. It is the word that is used to describe of one who is in a covenant, in a relationship with the Holy Father. He says to him, I lift up my soul. He could have said, I lift up my eyes, I lift up my hands, but he says soul as in to encompass his whole being. He offers himself to God. 
He is saying you have exclusive rights to all of me, my family, my relationships, work, possessions, everything. I am presenting myself to you as a living sacrifice. I'm not in a posture of negotiating. Rather, I'm in a posture of complete surrender. And what value there is when we begin our day, as groggy as we might be, half asleep, half awake, with with coffee, breath, beginning our day with this, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. If we really want to seek God's guidance for our life, we will heed the pattern that we see here in Psalm 25 to begin with saying, God, my life is yours. The answer is yes to whatever you want me to do today. Here's a second mini prayer in seeking God's guidance. Not only, Lord, I am yours, but to Lord, please forgive me. We probably have all experienced this at one time or another where someone has wronged us. Perhaps they have betrayed us. And it's as if there's a, a, a knife in our back. And as we, we, we meet up with that person who has betrayed us and hurt us, we are in the room, but there's a lot of awkwardness. Why? Because we're really reeling from pain from that betrayal. And before our relationship can resume or be furthered, well, something needs to happen to the knife that is in our back. And so that is confession. That is sin. That is, I am coming to you, Father, and I am sorry for my sins. If you are of the opinion that sin does not have any consequences, I humbly ask you to read of the life of David in the Scriptures. We see here a man after God's own heart. And as a man that was experiencing success as a king, he let his guard down and committed adultery with another man's wife. And this scarred his testimony and it scarred his family. We saw the passivity of this father when there was an argument between some adult children. And instead of stepping in and addressing that conflict, he let it build. And eventually one of his sons actually would would rule him out and take him out as king temporarily. And then there was a moment of pride when David said, you know, what we really should do is we should... We should have a census to find out how big my empire truly is. And in that act of pride, God judged him for that. 70,000 men were killed as a result of that pestilence. As a result, David, you can understand, was sensitive to his sins. And throughout this psalm, we see this repetition. Look with me at verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Or verse 11, For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Consider all my afflictions and my trouble and forgive all my sins. You see, in seeking guidance from the Lord, God guides His children through relationship. As David dealt with his past sins, 
there was still remorse in his life over those sins. And those regrets from his past assisted him in not sinning in the present. One Bible teacher said, when God remembers his mercy, he forgets our sins. Let me give you a third mini prayer that we see here in Psalm 25 that we are to have in order to seek God's guidance. Lord, I want to know who you are. Here's a little statement. Guidance is not seeking an answer. Rather, guidance is seeking God. David will not waste these fires, this tribulation. He will use it to know the character of God. To know God is to know His will. And at times when we go through suffering, we might conclude that God must be upset with us. He must be angry. But David offers another perspective. He reflects on these qualities of mercy and steadfast love. Look with me at chapter 25, verses 6, 7, and 8. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. As he's going through this trouble, as he is seeking guidance and decisions that he needs to make, his heart goes to the heart of God. And he is mindful who God is. He's merciful. He's of steadfast love. He is good and he is upright. Logically speaking, if God is good and we are not, we are sinful, then we have a problem. That God will judge us according to our sin. But when you combine this attribute with the others listed in his mercy and his steadfast love, we see because he is good, he has made a provision for us to be saved from our sins and that we could enter into his goodness. This word path, look at Psalm 25, verse 10. There's two different ways that we can get to know God in his word. It says, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimony. We can get to know God by observing his ways and his paths. The idea here is reading the scriptures from front to back. And we will learn the ways of God as we see how he relates to people. And we can say, that's how he relates to people. Well, then that's how he might relate to me. The word paths here in verse 10 speaks about these wheel tracks. Listen to what Spurgeon said in the Hebrew. This word paths speaks of ruts that wagons might make when they go down on green roads in the wet weather and sink into up to their axles. Another commentator, Clark, said, Mercy and truth are the paths in which God constantly walks in reference to the children of men. And so frequently does he show them mercy. And so frequently does he show his truth that his paths are earnestly discerned. Here's the point. As we are getting to know the heart of God, as we are leaning into who God is, 
like a wagon's tracks on wet soil, indents the ground and makes it clear the path in which we should go, we too will understand the way that we should go as we seek the Lord. Not only do we get to know the Lord when we learn his paths or his ways, but the last part there is verse 10 is his testimonies. That is his clear commands that he speaks about. As we dedicate our lives to the Lord, as we offer up regular repentance and aim to know who God is, will we be better equipped to be guided by him. Imagine a man that's been married to a woman for many years, and the man has taken upon himself to know his wife, to love his wife well. He knows our favorite flowers. He knows our favorite restaurant. He knows our favorite dish. He knows our favorite vacation destination. He knows our favorite movie and music. He has taken his entire married life in studying his wife, and he knows her so well that he doesn't even have to ask her, what do you think we should do today? Or or what do you think about this? Why? Because he knows the heart of his wife. And this is the picture that we are seeing here in Psalm 25. It's not just to come to God like a fortune cookie to get your answer. But to come to God to get God. To know Him. And then here's another mini prayer, number four. Lord, lead me. Lord, lead me. David is a skilled, knowledgeable theologian. He knows that God is merciful. He knows of his steadfast love. He knows that he is good and that he is upright. But yet we also see in this psalm that he is continually asking for God's guidance. In the Hebrew language, if there's a repetition, there's a reason for that. The point is for emphasis. David really wants to know what God is leading him to do. Look again with me at verses 4 and 5. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Verse 5. Lead me in your truth. Teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. In verses 9 and 10. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. Verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he be instructed in the way that he should choose. David sits at the feet of his Lord and says to him, What do you want me to do? What are you trying to teach me through this? One Bible teacher that I respect, Sinclair Ferguson said, God is more concerned about his work in you than in the work he can get out of you. So as we're seeking guidance, we have to keep before us the priority of relationship with God. How do you want me to respond 
to my enemies. Look what he says in verse 21. May integrity and uprightness preserve me. Lord, help me not to get caught up in how the enemies are are treating me. Instead, help me to be committed to doing whatever is right and then to trust you with the consequences. And then finally, let me give you the final little mini prayer that we see in Psalm 25. And it is, Lord, I will wait for you. We see this theme of waiting for God's guidance three different times in the psalm. Look again at verse 3. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. In verse 5, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. And in verse 21, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Today, this concept of waiting is kind of like a curse word to us. Our cell phones went from 3G to 4G to 5G, and, and uh, it's a capital offense to make us wait for that page to upload. And the same with, same with Wi-Fi. And we want fast speeds in our home because we do not want to wait. But do you know the Scriptures portray waiting in a different way? Some Bible teacher helped me with this. There's two different pictures we can think about in waiting on God. The one is in a waiting room. And that's a place of anger for me. I can think of a time when I was in a doctor's waiting room, and it was on my day off. And that guy made me wait about 15 or 20 minutes. And I was contemplating after about five whether to cancel that appointment. Come on. Doesn't he know how valuable I am and how important my time is? Is that what it means when we are instructed to wait on the Lord? To twiddle our thumbs? To to thumb through magazines and try to to speed up our time and keep ourselves distracted? There's another picture of waiting And it's that of a waiter, of a person that serves us in a restaurant. That has said, I'm still waiting on the Lord's response here, but that doesn't keep me from serving. So I'm going to serve him, and I'm going to serve others, and I'm going to seek contentment and joy in the midst of this. So as we walk through Psalm 25, we ask ourselves these questions. Have you been praying these things? Or would you be willing to pray these things? One, Lord, I am yours. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I want to know you. And Lord, lead me. And Lord, I'm willing to wait for you. But Chad, you went through Psalm 25, but you still haven't answered the question, who am I supposed to marry? What school am I supposed to go to? Am I supposed to take that job? Am I supposed to move? Am I supposed to go into that house? Am I, am I supposed to make this major decision? You know, I think as we look at the Scriptures, God is more concerned about whether you are growing in your relationship with Him than he is about those decisions. And so my encouragement to you 
is to draw as close as you can to the Lord by, by following through these principles in Psalm 25. And I believe that when you do that, you will know him so closely that like that experienced husband knows his wife, you will know what pleases God and you will be able to walk in the confidence of what he is leading you to do. And all of this is made possible by what we refer to as the good news. It is made possible through the wonderful work of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus sets an example of all these things. He presented himself to the Father and said, Here I am. I will carry out the plan you want for me. He is the only one who has never needed to confess his sins. He has walked in perfect fellowship with the Father. And he has prayed in seeking the Father's guidance. Lord, help me to identify the disciples that you want me to to send out. And he has also fulfilled God's perfect timing. According to Galatians 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. We are able to carry out Psalm 25 because Jesus carried out Psalm 25 and he made it possible for us to enter into a relationship with him. This morning, we have an opportunity to have a tangible reminder of what Jesus has done for us by participating in the Lord's Supper. So that's what we would like to do right now. I want to give you an opportunity to prepare your heart for that. We are not to enter into this lightly. If you are a guest with us and you have entered into this relationship with Jesus, you've turned from your sins, you are are born again, and even if you are not a member, you are welcomed to join us. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his death and his resurrection. That we can look at a song like this, and while it might be kind of scattered in its thoughts, we thank you for the example of David, who we can relate to being scattered. And yet in the midst of a fragmented life, a life of pain, a life where enemies were pursuing him, we see the humility of of calling out to you, saying, my life is yours. Please forgive me of my sins. Lord, I want to get to know you. Lord, please make your will known to me, and I will wait. That wait is not passivity. It's not just doing nothing, but I will serve while you make it clear to me. We thank you for this. And now as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would help us to reflect on these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.